in the lip. Yeah. Come on. Come on. I want you to punch him in the mouth, and I want you to taunt death. Amen? Amen. I mean, I, this is where my, my sermon is titled, and I have a great graphic for you. I'll post that later. My sermon was titled, The Death Slayer 3000. Oh, yeah, it sounds like a heavy metal band, and it was supposed to. Because it was supposed to taunt death. That we say, like, you have no power over me. Yep. Don't, I mean, don't we want to live like that? We, we can laugh at death until he goes away. And so that this Easter morning, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 15. And so if you have your Bibles, grab your Bible from 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to be looking at the undeniable facts, the unforgettable defeat, and the unending hope of the gospel. And so if you want to stand uh, where you're at, Stand up. We were going to have Jaja read scripture for us. We had a video sent in. It was going to be well produced. Sorry, Jaja. <laughs> uh, thank you for the work. Again, another week. Someone was going to read, and now we had it already. We can't do it because of Facebook. But Instagram, we're glad you're here. Um, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3, 4, 16, 17, 22, 55, 57. <laughs> It's not just a random smattering of verses. It was, point, it, was, it was for the point so that you didn't have to sit through a whole chapter, but it's a good chapter. Yes. And so I want you to sit through that maybe later today. Um, I'll just read for us here. We're in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15. Start with verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now let's jump down to verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's go down to 55 through 57. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone says, Thanks, thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful for your word on this Easter Sunday. May the story of your resurrection cut us in, in its beauty, in its impact. May we, may we realize that we already are, are in need of, of this balm to our souls. And so, Lord, would you apply the balm uh, of hope to our, our fearful and anxious and worry-fretted souls today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we kick off this um, resurrection morning, I want us to think about how ridiculous the resurrection had to have sounded, not just to us, but to the people in Paul's day. I mean, I think there's a, a temptation um, to, to be able to, to say that well, those people back then believed it, but they're kind of like idiots, right? <laughs> of course they believed in the resurrection because, you know, they were born a long time ago. But we modern people, like, we're more sophisticated than that. We know better. Right. 
right? Like, like they bought the lie because they just were not that smart and they would get duped by charlatans all the time. And so they were used to miracles. They were used to nonsense like that. But first, let me just say one thing. Let me challenge you and ask you to consider how prideful you sound right now. Like, is this generation the generation to only ever get it? Like, C.S. Lewis says what you are doing right now is you are engaging in chronological snobbery. You believe you're smart because you're new. <laughs> but, like, in a hundred years, what are people going to be saying about you? Like, they'll be like, I can't believe they believed that. I can't believe they went on Facebook Live and did a whole service. Idiots! Right? It was Instagram where we should have been all the time. <laughs> In fact, if you look at how Paul lays out his case, though, he makes this argument for the resurrection. He, has to, he actually, one, has to make a case for the resurrection. He has to convince his haters, but two, he has, he has a pretty credible argument. And so they were actually challenging it and, and, and questioning it as well. But, you know, as we're looking at the book um, of 1 Corinthians, we, we just take a break. We just took a break from the book of Acts that we've been walking through every single week. But I just want you to know that we didn't stray too far, right? Paul just planted this church in Corinth. And, and, and so he's on his journey, plants this church in Corinth, and now he's writing a letter back to it. And he probably wrote this letter in about 52 AD. And so for your minds to be able to think about 52 AD, that's, that's about 15 to 20 years after the resurrection. Now, for some of us to get a good con a contextual clue where that is, that's like when 9-11 happened, for how long that was. Some of you guys were alive then. Some of you guys know what that was. You could have asked people who experienced it, what was your experience? And so that's important for us to know that it's not that long ago. And so he begins in, in, in chapter 15, verse 1, saying, Now I remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Now, why do they need reminding? I mean, don't they have the gospel? Oh, they doubted it too? Oh, interesting. That sounds a lot like our century. Maybe I like the first century as well. But then he gives them straight facts. He, like, he just gives them the gospel. You may have heard a lot of, uh, of people use the word the gospel all the time. Gospel this, gospel centered this, gospel centered everything. Um, and I think Christians, we like to use this Christianese, this language. Um, and then we, we're not really sure what we're talking about. So Paul is about to spell it out for us in verse 3 and 4. What is the gospel? And it can be summarized in this right here, that Christ died for our sins. Well. Right? The action, the event, and the implication of it. That Christ died for our sins. Like, that about sums it up, right? That's, that's, that's most of it. That's yeah. like, boom. <laughs> okay. Four words summarize it all. Right? But then he says, in accordance with the scriptures. And then in verse 4, that he was buried... And then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so I think we need to see that this is, this is huge. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. And these are, these are facts. And he first, though, he says in accordance with the scriptures. He's, he's appealing to what they should know already. That these are the scriptures. These are things that you guys are actually reading a lot about. And so what he's trying to say is that this didn't come out of nowhere. Like the Old Testament has been talking about this for a long time now. That, that you should have been looking for this. That the Messiah was going to die and raise again. And so let's not all freak out about this, this concept of a resurrection. But let me also appeal to some eyewitnesses to make the case. Let me, let, Jesus appears to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and then to the five hundred, 
at one time. Most of whom, he says, are still alive. Now, do you see Paul's argument here? He says, first, it, the resurre resurrection wasn't just like a really good idea. Like, it wasn't just like a, a, a symbol of hope that it seems like Easter is now. Like, it's just a symbol of hope that, you know, just as you prepare for death, you know what, there's something better coming. Just, just, you know, just as an acorn dies and is planted and becomes a tree, so will we all. Like, it's just a, this, this good way of, of approaching death that, that obladi, oblada, life goes on. Right? Like, <laughs> if that's all Easter is, is just a symbol, then I want to say, what about the people who are dying for the, from this virus right now? Mm. How does that symbol help them? I mean, seriously. I mean, that's a big ask for many people to trust in something so, as so important as your life and death and what happens after death with just an idea. Yeah. Well, I hope things turn out well for eternity. And so, or is it just an event? Or was, or was the resurrection an event, a real life fact, an undeniable fact that changes everything? In, in one sense, this is just a really odd time to be preaching an Easter sermon. Mm. Like, in a time when there's just so much death around us, mm. it almost feels like the church is just tone deaf to even have an Easter service. Mm. I mean, are we just being insensitive by doing this? And I feel that. Mm. But, in another very real sense, it feels like the absolute best time for us to be talking about death and life after death. I mean, this is the conversation that we've been needing to have for a very long time as a church, to, to realize how, how close death is to our front door. And so Paul, Paul's argument is, is, this is real. We're not believing in, in just the lie ourselves. He goes from the scripture accounts to the eyewitnesses, and he's saying, go ask them. They saw it. There are plenty of people you can choose from. Some might say, yeah, well, they were just lying. You know, they're, they're trying to prove their point. They're trying to improve their life status. But do you think that's true? Because most of the disciples, most of the people that follow Jesus are killed and martyred. It's hard to imagine that you took that lie so serious that when, when people are burning you alive, you go, nope, I, I believe it still. You wouldn't think one person might have ratted and said, like, okay, we, 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 we were fooling you all. Not one person came out and said, okay, we, we, it, was, it was a lie, it was, it was a hoax. That didn't happen. Like, that just doesn't happen here. And think about it this way. When the story of, of the resurrection is told throughout all the Gospel of Mark, like the whole story of the Gospel, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and he's constantly saying, I will die and I'll rise again on the third day. I mean, he says that over and over and over. I will die and I'll rise again on the third day. I will die and I'll rise again on the third day. I will die and I will... Rise again on the third day. Right? Like, <laughs> he says it so much that you would think that on the third day, some of them might have been going just walking around just to like, let's see, anything over there? <laughs> just checking. <laughs> like, but no one's there. There's no disciples. Like, even if you were trying to lie, you, you would have said, I was there. <laughs> we all knew it was coming. We, we believed wholeheartedly in that. But no one's there. The only people who go to the tomb whom our text doesn't even mention in, in, in 1 Corinthians, are the women. Come on, women. Come on, women. <laughs> but, sorry, women. Right. They're going with spices and herbs to anoint a dead body. 
<laughs> and so his whole ministry is leading up to this. When, when he's finished saving humanity, you think he would have come out of the grave and he might have thought, it's like Palm Sunday again. We had shouts, Hosanna in the highest, well done. And he comes back not to just an empty grave, but an empty room. I just died for you all. I just rose for you all. Where are you? Like, there's no one there to applaud the work he just did to save humanity. No one believed his message. Why would they include that in their account if it wasn't real? And I think it's important to note that there were dozens of messianic movements where, where, where someone would, uh, a leader would, would be raising, risen up, and then he would die, and, and all of the, the following would just disperse. That there's messianic movements, dozens of them, where, where someone would say they were the Messiah, and then he would be killed, and then the, the followers would run away because they knew he wasn't the Messiah. They knew that, okay, we were trying to get some power here. <laughs> like it collapsed. But in all of these dozens of, of, of movements, the only one that doesn't collapse, the only one that doesn't just fold in but actually explodes is this one right here in Christianity. And that's in spite of who its leaders were. I mean, the first eyewitnesses were women, right? They're sharing the good news. But in that day, that wasn't something to celebrate. Like, the women in that day were a liability. Mm. A guy named Celsus, who was a Greek pagan philosopher who lived about 80 years after uh, Jesus' death. He wrote a number of books to refute Christianity, and he wrote some of these accounts uh, that said the reason that you can't believe in the resurrection is because the, the resurrection accounts are based on women. And he says, and we all know how hysterical women are. Mm. <laughs> You're my wife. That's the same girl I have, too. That's terrible. But, but he knew that was a strong argument in that day because that culture did not value women. And I would say our culture doesn't value women as well. But Jesus does, and Christianity does. And so if the gospel writers were trying to pull one over people, this is a dumb way to do it, right? Like this is a dumb way to do it to make these the eyewitnesses. If it was a lie, why tell the story of the disciples that weren't there and the women that were? Mm. Doubters, betrayers, and backstabbers are his followers. It paints them in such a bad light if it was a lie. But I don't think it was a lie. And then it says that there were 500 people who saw Jesus at once. 500! And so someone might suggest, well, maybe they're just having a hallucination. They just saw Jesus. But you know the problem with having a hallucination with 500 people is, I don't think I've been high before. It's hard. I would say it was. I would say, yeah, was. But it's hard to say, did, did you see that? It looks like a unicorn. Like, they have different views of it. But there's a real person that appears to 500 people that they all saw, right? I maybe should not have said that. <laughs> I'm glad this is on Instagram. <laughs> then he ends his argument in verse 8 and says, Last of all, he appeared to me. And this is why we ask some of you guys to share your testimony of, of how Jesus has changed our life. Because I think it's helpful to hear the facts and the clinical facts that this is what happened with, with Jesus' resurrection. We need to know that. We need to affirm that this is true. But I think some of us, we, we don't get swayed by just facts. We're, we don't, we're not Sherlock Holmes where we're just saying, prove to me. We need to hear from a person saying, how has this changed you? And so thank you for sharing your stories. We need to hear that because your story matters. Yeah. You're another eyewitness testimony that tells the world he's real. 
And so those undeniable facts are evidence of an extraordinary event. And the implications of this event are an unforgettable defeat. And so if this is true, if Jesus did die and come back to life, I mean, how does this change things for us? It, I mean, it changes everything. In verse 12, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there, there is no resurrection from the dead? You see, they're, they're doubting it, right? They're, they're not dumb. They're struggling to believe that someone can rise from the dead. But then in verse 16, he says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. We are to be pitied. Say, it's a shame. Paul would have none of this modern way of thinking that says, you know, Easter's just a good symbol. You know, even if it doesn't work out in the end that there is no Jesus, there is no resurrection, at least you had a pretty good life. And you were a nice person. Right. Like Paul would say, absolutely not! We look like fools! We just got hoodwinked! Yeah. I love that word. <laughs> we need someone to deal with this. We need someone to deal with death. We need a death slayer. And not only death, we need someone to deal with our sins. Now, what does he mean that if Christ has not been raised, then we are still in our sins? Well, if, if Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sins, and he went to give payment for sin, well, if he's still dead, then there may still be more payment needed, is the, is the thought there. There's still payment needed. So imagine someone you know goes to jail. Let's say they, they robbed a pawn store. They, they, they stole one of those big CRT TVs, right? <laughs> Dumb thing. For some reason, they went to jail for three years for it. I don't know, Robert uh, Callahan, you can tell me if that's a, a long enough time. Or not. Um, but they go to jail for three years, and I'll, I'll, at the end of three years, what happens? They, they've paid their due. They're able to walk out of prison. That The fact that they're able to walk out is proof that, that they fulfilled their sentence, that that payment is done, that, that, that they paid the price for their crime, and it can no longer be held against them. Jesus Christ came to pay for the penalty of sins. And on Easter Sunday, he walked out free. He rolled away the stone. And that is God's way of saying, paid in full. Come on. Your sins are paid for. I mean, when you buy something, you get a receipt. And if you're like me, you throw that away. Some of you should, I should hold on to those receipts. But the stone rolled away. The empty tomb is our receipt that it is finished. Amen? Amen. That the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so fully that there is nothing left to go out on us. That we have a receipt that we can say, nope, it's already been paid for. You can't charge me for trying to steal this. Right? God's anger no longer burns against you. Yeah. And so some of you might be saying, well, how? How is that possible? Because I know my sin. And my sin is ever before me. It's mine. I've wronged people. I've hurt feelings. I'm the one responsible. It can't be Jesus to pay for my sins. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. It must be my sins. And I know my sin. It's my shame and my guilt. But that's where you're wrong. It's not just yours, and it's never been just yours. In verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. 
So in Adam, we've all fell because of it. We're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And, and the sin of Adam and Eve was passed down like a virus that has been transferred from one generation to the next. And so it's not just your sin, it's our sin. It's like this. I once I heard a story of, of these five men who were rock climbing. And these, this is not like indoor rock climbing. This is extreme rock climbing. And this is rock climbing that you say, they're dumb for being up there. <laughs> right? They're, they're, on, they're on a giant cliff. And these men are, are so intense in this that there's, not, there's no handles. They have to bring axes and rope to hold them in. And they're attached to one another. And so the, there's five men. The first man is up real high, and they all have these little clips in that they're, they're holding on to. The fifth man, though, loses his footing and falls. Being attached to the other man in the rope, he now falls, and the weight of that fifth man pulls the fourth man. Now the weight of two men pulls the third man. And at this point, the first man is looking and going, I know what's about to happen. And he takes his pickaxe, and he jams it as hard as he can into the rock. And he braces for that, and he sees the second man fall. And so now four men are about to fall, and, and miraculously, four adult men are about to pull him down to their deaths. But miraculously, he holds on to that. He saves all of these men. You see, the first man fell and brought them all down, but the last one kept them alive. Oh. And so in Adam, we all die, but in Christ, we are made alive. No more. We're not just saved from death. We, we are brought back to life. And when Jesus comes and gives us CPR, he's not giving us, you know, he's not resuscitating life that, that, is, that is already there. No, we've been dead for a long time. We are the walking dead. We are zombies that have been given a cure. We, we don't have nothing to bring back. And so we've been dead for some 30 years, some of us. But he breathes new life into us. How does he do it? Well, let's jump down to the, to the bottom of this chapter. And this is like eating your dessert before the main meal. Because this is just so sweet. <laughs> this, this is, I know we're jumping around, but this is important. Verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Now, do you see how Paul is, is taunting death? Like, death isn't a natural part of life. Death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. Not something that we should normalize and say, that's just, that's this life. Everyone dies. No, it's an enemy that we must fight against. And so we do mourn over the loss of loved ones. And we say, it's not right. We say it's not right, and we, we, we fight against that. But at the same time, Paul is taunting death and says, where, O death, is your sting? He's like picking a fight with death. And I heard someone personify death once, and he and death were having a conversation, and he says, where, O death, is your sting? And death replies back, my sting is your sin. And I sting because you sin. You're a sinner and therefore not lovable. And some of that just, some of y'all, that just crushes you. But that's not what we asked you, death. <laughs> we didn't ask you, what is your sting? We asked you, where is your sting? Now we know the sting is our sin. The sting of death is sin. That's in the Bible, that's true. But where is the sting? 
And death may say, my sting is in your heart. It's convicting you right now. And again, that, that may crush you. And you might feel, I am a sinner. I am terrible. I've done terrible things. But death, you are dead wrong. That's not where the sting is. Our sins aren't in our heart, nor are they in heaven condemning us. I'm asking you, death, to answer honestly, and you haven't done so yet. Where is your sting, O death? And I'm not afraid of you anymore. You're an old enemy, not even a current one. I've, I've gone on past you. You're just someone I used to know. Right? We're not the same people anymore. When Jesus died in my place, he paid for my sins, and he took my sins to the cross with him. And so my sin isn't with me. It's no longer lodged in my heart. Where, O death, is your sting? Huh? Answer that now. It's been nailed to the cross along with my Savior. But you've been lying to me for years, Death. And you know what happens? You know what happens to honeybees when they when they their, their, their stinger gets removed? They die. And death, your stinger has been removed. And you are going to die. <laughs> Death will die, and we will come back to life. Amen? Amen? All of this is leading us to the unending hope of this passage. Death and sin have been slain, but if we just stop there, that's just payment for our sin has been paid. But the question still is there, what happens after we die? Remember, the sermon is titled Death Eater 3000, not just Death Eater. Right? This, this is one saying there's something better. This one goes to 11. Some of y'all get that reference. <laughs> This is, this, is, this is where Christianity is just very unique. Like, Christianity places a high value on the body. We don't believe that the body is bad. We don't believe it's evil or, or filthy. We don't believe that we actually transcend our bodies at some point. Paul answers that in the new heavens and in the new earth, we will all get resurrected bodies. That your body, the one that you have now, is like a seed. That when it's planted in the ground, when you die... Up will come a resurrected body at the right time. And so there's no harps. There's none of this cloud nonsense. We'll have real physical bodies. We'll have work to do. We'll have food to eat. I mean, look at Jesus' resurrected body in the Gospels. I mean, he walked places. He didn't just float along. He walked places. He ate fish. He broke bread. He, he had Thomas feel his hands. And so there's a very physical nature with the new heavens and the new earth. But there is a difference between the heavenly bodies and the earthly body. Mm -hmm. In verse 40, it says, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, mm -hmm. but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. Yep. And so the body we have now it is fragile, and we all know that right now. There, this is no more real than the time that we're in right now, because we are very easy to kill. I mean... Outside of global pandemic, we, are, we, we realize that we're very easy to kill, no matter what precautions that we take. Like, you could be going for an airplane ride, or a bike ride, or a car ride. You could be going for a jog. You could be tripping down the stairs. Or you could have one rogue cell in your body just go out of whack. That our bodies are fragile and that we are easy to kill. It's not hard. But the heavenly body, yes, it ate. Yes, it walked. Yes, it was natural, but it was imperishable. It's saying th this heavenly body has no expiration date like our milk does. 
Like, this heavenly body is different. It's of a different kind. Jesus was able to, to appear in locked rooms at times. He just, somehow he just floated through walls. We just joked about floating, but now somehow he walked through walls. Because our heavenly bodies are more real than our earthly bodies. That matter seems to move around us somehow. We don't understand it. But some of you guys have asked, will we recognize each other in heaven? Will I know who my parents are? Will I know who my children are? But I'm going to say not at first. The disciples and the women didn't recognize Jesus at first. He's sitting there talking to them, and they don't know who he is. Because he's got a new body. It's perfect. It's not affected by the fall. It's you, but it's the best possible version of you. It's like, oh, that's you. Like, that really is you. It's like in, in Hook, where they see the, the old, out-of-shape, overweight Peter Pan, and they push his face back, and they're going, there you are, Peter. But it's the opposite of that in heaven. Instead of being out-of-shape, it's going, oh, that's you without the fall affecting you. That's who's, that's who's reaching you. That, that's who you actually are. That's the real you underneath all of that. It makes me think of Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you guys know her. She was in an accident when she was 17 years old. And ever since, she's a quadriplegic. And so she's been in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the neck down the rest of her life. And while still trying to come to terms with this, this horrific incident that happened, um, she would still go to church, but the only problem was that she was an Episcopalian. That's a big problem. But the reason that's a problem is only because in the Episcopalian church, traditionally the priest would call you in the service to kneel. And so at one point, when, she, when he called everyone to kneel in the service, it just reminded her how she was just stuck in her wheelchair. And with everyone down on the ground, her still upright, it made her realize how, how different she was. That she said, I, I was always standing out. And then when she went to a conference to hear a speaker, the speaker did the same thing. He said, let's, let's all just kneel on our knees and pray. And that's when she began to cry. And she said, I can't kneel. But... Her tears were not tears of self-pity. Her tears were tears of how beautiful the sight was of hundreds of people kneeling before the Savior and the risen King. In her book, she writes, sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven, I will be free to jump, <laughs> to dance, yeah. to kick, and to do aerobics. And sometimes we're at, when we're called to the banquet feast of the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do, the very first thing I want to do on resurrected legs is to drop to grateful, glorified knees. And I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. And so she goes on to say, imagine the hope that this gives someone with a spinal cord like mine. Imagine the hope for a manic depressive. Mm -hmm. Only in the gospel do people like me find hope. And so if you can't kneel right now, you will in heaven. If you can't kneel now, you will kneel perfectly in heaven. 
If you can't dance now, you will dance perfectly in heaven. If you can't sing right now, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> you will in heaven, and you'll be able to belt it, and you'll be able to sound like Jada. I will be able to sound like Jada. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> All the way that our bodies are affected by the fall will be made right when we have our new bodies. Because Christ is risen. I mean, do you know how invincible that, 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 that news makes you? Like, that your sin has been paid for, and the best news is yet to come. That, that the battle is over, and the best is yet to come. I mean, so if someone says they're going to kill you, that, that, that you can just spit in their eye. He's like, death has no power over me. The sting is gone. Do your worst. I mean, we're not saying go looking for it like that. But if it comes, you can say, do your worst. If someone says, give up that, that commitment to your Savior, you can say, I no longer fear death. I know something far greater is waiting for me. And so hear me plead with you today on this Easter Sunday, if you've tuned in with us through Instagram, if, if, if forgiveness is available for you in Christ, wouldn't you be a fool to just pass it up? If, if life after death is on the table, and it is, wouldn't it be just foolish to run from this opportunity? I mean, who knows when our time will come? Every single one of us, every single one of us is going to be lying under two words at one point in history. Here lies, and you can fill in your name. You can picture your gravestone. That all of us are, it's coming. There will be a time and so, are we prepared to die well? But the good news is, because he is risen, we will rise too. We will live forever. And so, if you're here today, and you only come around once every Christmas or Easter, welcome, we're glad you're here. But if you feel like maybe you came because you're thinking you're too far off from God, that you and God aren't cool, that you feel like you and God are, 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 are on different pages, maybe you've strayed too far, I, as, a, as a fellow sinner, as one who is prone to wander, I say you've not gone too far. We are all sinners, and we have a Savior who is like that first rock climber. But instead of having, instead of having four adult males pulling them down and he has to hold on, he has the weight of the world crushing him, the weight of the world's sin tearing him apart. And yet... He is risen. Mm -hmm. And he still holds you in his hands. And so I say, turn to him today. Grip onto him as he's gripping onto you. And let's put our faith and our hope in the risen Savior. Let's pray.